I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth in Mission. I'm talking today to David Campos, a former member of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, who is now chairman of the county's Democratic Party. He's calling for a big change in November's election, having all San Franciscans vote by mail and operating no polling places. This is necessary, he said, to keep voters safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. David Campos, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much for inviting me. As president of the San Francisco Democratic Party, you've expressed some concern about this November's election and ensuring as many people as possible participate, despite the coronavirus pandemic potentially um, making that difficult to do in person. What specifically are your concerns and what do you think the city should do about it? Uh, Sure. You know, and I speak as the chair of the San Francisco Democratic Party, which uh, has about 319,000 registered Democrats who live in the city. Uh And having watched what we saw in Wisconsin, where you had voters having to choose between their own health and safety or voting because they were forced to actually uh, vote in person, I really worry about San Francisco, not just Democrats, but any San Francisco voter having to make a choice between their health and uh, their right to vote. And so I I really think that we need to start looking ahead uh, at the November election and that there are certain things that our local government has to uh, do to protect uh, not only people's health, but also to protect uh, their right to vote so that people don't have to be in a place where they have to choose between the two. And so I, uh, I think that the mayor and the board of supervisors need to do two things. Uh, the first thing is that they need to begin uh, to take steps to make the November ballot, uh, I'm sorry, the November election an all-mail ballot so that people can just vote by mail. They don't have to go to the hundreds of precincts uh, where people come to the polling places where people normally vote. And then the second thing that they should do uh, beyond making the this election, November election, a vote by mail uh, election, they need to take steps to uh, consider implementation of a law uh, that was passed in 2016. It's called the Voters Choice Act which is actually a law that has been implemented in 15 different counties in the state of California. Uh, We haven't done that yet in San Francisco. And the law actually makes it a lot easier for people to vote. And I think that in the age of COVID-19, it actually uh, can provide protections, permanent protections, uh, so that people don't have to risk their health when they actually exercise the right to vote. Mm-hmm. What specifically does the Voter Choice Act do? Uh, and, and before before I talk about, it, let me say this: that I think that we need to just study how it would work. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it does uh, a number of things, but three main things. The first thing that it does is that it automatically registers to vote anyone who is applying for a driver's license or a California ID. And people who have already been registered to vote before are, uh, you know, automatically enrolled into the uh, into the voting system. The second thing that it does is that those who are registered automatically get a ballot in the mail. So you don't have to apply for it. You know, right now you can vote by mail, but you have to apply. You have to follow a process. If you miss some deadlines, it is possible that you 
may not be able to do that, this actually sends the ballot automatically to to every registered voter. And then the third thing that it does is that it gives different options for, for people to, to turn in their ballot, making it a lot easier than the current system. So obviously the, the easiest thing, people can just mail it. And, and that actually, you know, happens most of the time in these, in these counties, or people can also drop them off without having any kind of personal interaction with anyone. There are uh, ballot boxes, if you will, throughout the city that where people can just drop them off. And then for people who still feel the need that they have to go and, you know, cast their ballot somewhere, it creates uh, what are called voting centers uh, throughout the city, uh, but it's not as many as precincts. And in a way, the, the city of San Francisco has been uh, running a voting center already because that's what City Hall has been. But this would be voting centers uh, in key locations. You know, uh, it's not that many, probably, you know, a few voting centers where people can go and cast the ballot in person if they need to. And what I'm saying about the Voters' Choice Act is not so much that we need to implement it right away, but that going forward, we need to study its implementation and see what that looks like in San Francisco. In places that have already uh, implemented the Voter Choice Act, they have seen an increase in voter participation, especially among young people and among uh, some people of color. And why hasn't San Francisco opted into the Voter Choice Act yet? It seems like kind of a no-brainer. Well, a couple of things. I think, first of all, the way that the law was drafted, it actually allowed certain counties to go first. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's something that wasn't pushed for by San Francisco's delegation at the time, but for whatever reason, San Francisco was not identified as one of the peop- uh, the counties to, to go first. Um, places like Santa Clara County, where I actually work, mm-hmm. uh, were allowed to go first. But uh, San Francisco now has the option uh, through 2020. We actually could be doing that by now. And for whatever reason, you know, we have not uh, chosen to prioritize this. And I understand there are a lot of other things that, that we have been working on, but I really believe that protecting the right to vote is key to protecting our democracy. And San Francisco has led the way in so many other ways on so many other issues that I think it's kind of surprising in a way that we haven't done this. And I think that in the age of COVID-19, this is the time to act. And, and even though November seems like it's far away, to really implement this program and to begin by having an all-mail uh, ballot, we need to start planning now. Right. And would opting into the Voter Choice Act just require a vote of the Board of Supervisors and the mayor signature, or is there more to it? It would require a vote by, by them in, you know, uh, creating a law that, that makes it the law of San Francisco. But you also have to follow certain procedures. So you would have to actually uh, uh, prepare a plan, study it, and send it to, to the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't just happen automatically. It takes some time. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that, you know, voting uh, using the Voters' Choice Act for the November ballot is even possible or maybe even something we want to do right away, because it may be that uh, an all-male ballot might just be the first thing we do, because with COVID-19, it seems to me that uh, the easiest and most practical thing is for someone to get a ballot in the mail and to send it in. But I think the Voters' Choice Act provides uh, 
more options and the it's more of a permanent solution that other counties have used. And and quite frankly, I think that we cannot rely on the federal government to protect the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, we in the Bay Area were actually the first region to act on COVID-19 as the federal government was basically denying that there was a problem. And I don't think that we can rely on the federal government to protect the right of San Franciscans to vote, which is why I think it's critical that the mayor and the board of supervisors act and that they act now. Mm-hmm. And by an all-male vote, you'd like to see people only vote by mail and there be no in-person polling places? I think at least for the November election, it makes sense to do that because I think that we're still trying to figure out what COVID life is going to look like. Mm-hmm. And I think that it may be that uh, the voting centers may not be options uh, uh, given COVID-19. Uh, and and if we do want to continue to do an all by, by mail ballot, we can still have that option. But I think that that seems to be based on what we have seen in the science and the research that it's better to avoid any kind of, you know, voting that, that, that involves physical contact, which is why I think that the vote by mail provides a more immediate solution. And by studying uh, the implementation of the Voter Choice Act, we at least can have other options. Right. Some people might say that it doesn't matter quite as much here in San Francisco as it would in Wisconsin or other swing states since California is a shoe in for Joe Biden in November. How do you respond to that? Well, the the reality is that, you know, we are a democracy and, and a key and central feature of a democracy is the right to vote. Uh, and I actually think that voting in November in San Francisco will be critical, not just because of the presidential election, but also all the other things uh, that might be on the ballot. And quite frankly, if if we cannot protect the right to vote in San Francisco, which is a progressive, forward-thinking city, then where can, where can that right to vote be protected? Mm-hmm. And uh, it really isn't just about, you know, the, the presidential election. Uh, yes, you know, I think it's probably true that San Francisco will end up voting for Joe Biden. Uh, but San Franciscans will also be voting on a lot of other matters that are really critical to the future of the city, the state and the country. And it's also about being an example for the rest of the state and the rest of the of the nation for what it means to be a democracy. And, you know, COVID-19 uh, has really challenged, you know, so many aspects of our life and something that I hope is not challenged and destroyed by COVID-19 is the fundamental right to vote, which is really so central to who we are. And I think that San Franciscans understand that. They care about that. And I think what happens is that sometimes we look at things that happen like Wisconsin and we think they're never going to happen here. Well, the way the, the law works, if we do not act, it could very well happen here, which is why I'm, you know, sort of letting people know, listen, uh, we care about this issue, but we can't just assume it's going to happen. We actually have to take the steps to make it happen. I'll be back with David Campos. I'm Heather Knight, and I'm back with David Campos, chairman of the San Francisco Democratic Party. 
Switching gears, you used to be on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, but now you're a deputy county executive for Santa Clara County. I know that in that role, you're helping to staff their emergency operations center. And I was wondering if you can paint a picture of how that is and how the COVID-19 response is going in Santa Clara. Yeah, well, you know, it's a very intense uh, operation. And and I assume, you know, and actually I have seen the Emergency Operations Center in action in San Francisco when I was on the Board of Supervisors. And it's, it's you know, the, the one in San Francisco, I think, has very similarities with the one in Santa Clara. You have hundreds of people from all over the government of Santa Clara County that are really working on different aspects of a response, you know, and, and that means, you know, uh, health officials, uh, like, uh, led by the health officer in this case, Sarah Cody, you know, who are thinking very strategically about, you know, what the, the, uh, standing health order should look like. And, you know, Sarah Cody was the one who sort of led the effort that led to the establishment of the first shelter in place. Uh, in the Bay Area and all in all the seven counties, six counties in the Bay Area. And then you have people uh, also within the public health system from the hospital system who have been working to make sure that we build the capacity within that system, number of beds, uh, equipment, ventilators, uh, to make sure that we can handle the demand, uh, especially if there is a surge. Then you have, you know, uh, people who are working to make sure that we have the staffing at those hospitals to be able to to respond uh, to a surge. And then you have all these other aspects of life in, in a county or in a city that still have to go on. So it's a very intense operation. You know, you go in first thing in the morning and you're there until very late at night uh, working to keep the county safe. And, you know, my role uh, has been to help uh, ensure that the public, the elected officials, and just every person who lives in Santa Clara has information about what the county is doing. Because in something like an emergency, it's not enough for, for local government or any government official to tell people, trust me, you know, we know what we're doing. You actually have to give them information and have transparency so that they can see for themselves what local government is doing. So in Santa Clara, we put up uh, uh, different uh, pieces of information. We actually have dashboards. We have a dashboard that tells you the number of cases, you know, uh, number of deaths broken down by city, by ethnicity and other groups and other categories. We have a, a dashboard that tells you what our hospital capacity is, how many beds we have, not only general beds, but uh, surge beds, additional beds that we created, uh, or ICU beds, the number of ventilators, so that people can see for themselves where this system is. And you know, fortunately, because we, along with the other uh, five counties, were able to bend the curve, what we're seeing is that the... Uh, you know, the system uh, has enough capacity to deal with what's coming. And and in fact, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that even though Santa Clara County was actually the hardest hit county in California at the beginning of this pandemic, that it actually has stabilized and, uh, you know, has actually, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it has peaked or not peaked because it's hard to know when that happens. But we are very confident 
that we're going to be able to manage whatever comes our way. Uh, and I think a lot of it, it has to do with the actions taken by Sarah Cody, who really was, you know, the person who got the other six health officers together and say something is happening here. And that's because of the analysis that our public health officials in Santa Clara made working with the CDC, where they did a study that showed that the, the infection of, of, of the people in the study was high enough that there was something there that required action by the entire Bay Area. And now the Bay Area is the model, really, for the rest of the country on how to deal with something like this. And as someone who has a front row seat to all these decisions getting made, what do you think life is going to look like in the Bay Area over the next few weeks or months, six months, and then a year? Well, I, I think that's the, that's the million the dollar question. question. <laughs> and I, think, I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wise enough to, to, to say and to know that uh, it's important for us to let the health officers uh, drive that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you, having been an elected official, that I know that a lot of elected officials want to weigh in on that. And even though what they have to say is an important consideration, at the end of the day, uh, I think that it should be driven by public health and science. And actually, this is where I, I give Governor Newsom a lot of credit because you know he has made that clear. And so I think that the public health officers are going to to weigh that uh, and, and balance, but but really be driven by the science. And I think that for a time being, it won't be life as we know it. I think that a lot of the same uh, you know, limitations uh, that that we presently have could very well continue uh, with some modifications. Uh, but the challenge is that until and unless you have either a vaccine or herd immunity, which we're not going to have for some time, you're going to have to really uh, exercise, you know, uh, a lot of the same uh, strategy, social distancing and other things to to be able to to be successful in a, a big challenge, I think, for all of us. And and unfortunately, this is something that occurred because of failure by the federal government, is that we do not have enough testing uh, to really uh, at least manage the situation uh, if, if we reopen things. Because unless you're able to identify who has the virus with testing, in with surveillance of uh, surveying those people who have been tested in the contacts they had, unless you're able to do that on a scale, uh, you run a very real risk of coming back to where we were. And right now, the, the testing capacity is not where it needs to be. And I know that that's what local governments, state governments are working on, because, you know, what we hear from the federal governments is, is federal government is you're on your own on those things. Shouldn't be that way, but that's the reality. Okay. Well, um, on a lighter note, it's time for our lightning round. Are you ready? (laughs) Where in San Francisco is your favorite place to get a burrito? Oh my God. I would say uh, probably El Farolito on 24th Street. Mm -hmm. Good choice. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Oh my God! There are so many uh, options. Uh, I know this sounds sounds uh, you know uh, 
weird, but it's, uh, you know, when the, the, the Star Trek movie that was actually in, in future San Francisco, uh-huh. I thought that was pretty cool. Okay. My colleague Peter Hartlaub will be glad to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> where in the city in, is your favorite place to get a stiff drink back when bars were open? Well, you know, I don't drink alcohol. Oh. Uh, so I haven't been to a bar in a long time, <laughs> and I, I apologize no for that. No problem. I understand. Because it doesn't answer the question. But, uh, you know, back in the day uh, when this bar was open, Espinoche, uh, uh-huh. I love going to that place. But, you know, that closed a few years back. What was your first concert? <laughs> uh, when I was in college, uh, my friends and I went to an air supply concert, which at the <laughs> time, you know, uh, seemed like it was like going back in time. <laughs> nice. What was the last book you read? Oh, wow. I, you know, I'm really, uh, into, uh, biographies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just read the Frederick Douglass biography. Mm-hmm. Cool. When and how did your obsession with bow ties start? You know, this is the thing that I actually, growing uh, up uh, and being in college, I always thought that I I was more of a bow tie person, but I was afraid <laughs> to say it. And that kind of started because I this is sort of a true story. I was an intern in D.C. Uh, when I was in college, and I ended up uh, getting lost in the sort of uh, underground subway train system of D.C., mm-hmm. and I got in an elevator, and actually Paul Simon, uh, the then senator from Illinois, got on and basically looked at me and said, young man, have you ever thought about wearing a bow tie? And that kind of <laughs> just stuck with me since then. That's great. I love that. What do you miss most? <laughs> what do you miss most about serving on the board of supervisors, and what do you not miss at all? <laughs> uh, I think I miss, you know, my my colleagues, and you know, the the sort of and the people that I work with. I mean, I think some pretty amazing people uh, got an opportunity to work with them. Uh, I don't miss uh, the long meetings that yeah. can go on till. You know, 11 p.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., I think is the longest that I had. I don't miss that at all. (laughs) I bet you don't miss public comment. That can go on for hours and hours. (laughs) Uh, That's too. You know, I've actually always appreciated it. I always gotten a kick out of it. I think think you can learn a lot from it. It's important, but it does go on and on. (laughs) That's true. All right. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Oh, God. I, I... Wow, you know, um, hmm, hmm. I I always try to uh, you know pet my bulldog and and uh, and make sure that I kiss my bulldog. Huh. You know, it's like there's something about having uh, pets and uh, that just sort of like helps you relieve stress. You know, so before and after, uh, uh, before I leave home and when I get home. It's just there's something about that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess it really is true that if you want a, a, a true friend in politics, get a dog, <laughs> you know. But uh, that that is really uh, something important. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was fun to talk to you. Thank you, Heather. Uh, be safe out there. And I think, you know, we're going to get through this. Uh, not sure when and what <laughs> it will look like exactly, but I know we will. I agree. Great to talk to you. Take care. Thank you.
Thank you to David Campos for joining me today, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and to you for listening. Fifth Emission is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a financial supporter of the largest newsroom in Northern California. You can sign up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.